So good morning, everybody. My name's Alan, for those of you that don't know me. Today we're finishing up a series on the Lord's Prayer called Teach Us to Pray. And what we've been looking at and trying to to strive toward is to learn how to pray like Jesus did, like Jesus wants us to. In Luke 11, the disciples heard Jesus praying, and when he was done, they, they said, teach us to pray. And what we've learned is it's everybody just seems to instinctively know how to pray, but not like Jesus. And so we've looked at each element in the Lord's Prayer and taken from what we can learn so that we can learn to pray like Jesus. Now, last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And there Jesus told us to ask to be forgiven, to forgive us, for we are forgiving others. And it's a plea and a pledge. Now he picks up here and he ends the Lord's Prayer with this. Starts in verse 13, goes through 15. He says, lead us not, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of your translations have from the evil one. And most scholars debate back and forth on this, but it looks like the evil one is a good translation. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, as I studied this out, I actually put this lesson together a couple weeks ago. And the more I thought about it and the more I looked at it, the more I became unconfident of what I was preparing to teach. And there were some nagging questions that just kept coming up, and I had to dig into it and dig into it and dig into it a little bit more, and I had to change some things. For instance, what I found as I studied it out is that most people see this verse 13, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, as kind of a generic temptation and a generic deliverance. Well, I had a little bit of a problem coming at it that way because in verse 14 it starts off with the word for. It's the Greek word gar. It's a difficult one. G-A-R is how we would pronounce it. It's not a difficult word to understand at all. It means for or because. In other words, it introduces an explanation of what was just said. So I think as we look at temptation and deliverance, we shouldn't just look at it only in a generic way but we also should consider how it applies to forgiveness and unforgiveness like we talked about last week. So what does Jesus mean when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Again, at first blush, that seems pretty simple, right? But is Jesus implying that God tempts us and that we have to ask him not to tempt us? Is that what he's implying? So I had to do a little bit more digging on that. I was unsettled with it. Well, the Greek word that Jesus uses there could actually mean for temptation, could mean temptation, just like we're familiar with. could also mean trial, testing, or persecution. So now I'm going, okay, which is it? What is it that, that Jesus is telling us that we should ask? This, is, this must be pretty important because he finishes his instruction on how to pray with this. 
And he even clarifies with verses 14 and 15 about forgiveness and unforgiveness. So I had to start doing a little bit more digging. And we know that God doesn't tempt anybody. How do we know that God doesn't tempt people? Well, in James 1, verse 13, it says it plainly. God can't be tempted and he doesn't tempt anybody. But what I found, and I think you know this is true also, that God sometimes leads us into places where we will face temptation. God does lead us into places where we will face temptation. Why does he do that? Well, before I try to explain why I think he does it, let's just look at a couple of examples. The clearest one is probably found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says there that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. God didn't tempt him in the desert, but God led him to the desert where he would be tempted. Sometimes God leads us to places where he tempts us. And it's not a new thing. It happened in the Old Testament a few times too. One of the examples I could give you is in the Exodus, whenever God led his people out of Egypt. He could have simply marched them straight into Canaan. It wouldn't have taken that long. But if you look at Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18, God said, I can't let them go into battle just yet. They're not ready. So we're going to have to backtrack and spend some time out here in the desert. Why did he have them out there? To prepare them. He even, as a part of the wilderness wanderings, leads them to a place called Massa. M-A-S-S-A-H. Massa. You'll find it in Exodus 17, verse 7. And the word Massa is the very same word that Jesus uses in this passage. About tempting and testing. It's actually, in the Hebrew Bible, it's, it's a different word. But in the Septuagint, which is an older version, it's a Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the very same word. Interesting. God leads his people to places where they will be tempted, where they will be tested. And, of course, then we've got to consider what James says about it in James 1, 2. Verse 2 of chapter 1, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's still talking about the same word here. For you know that the testing, that's that same word again, of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, now this was difficult for me to reconcile at first. I had to spend some time thinking through this. Because when I first look at what Jesus is telling us to pray, it says it sounds like he's saying, don't let me be tested. Don't let me be tempted. That we should be praying that. But that doesn't seem to fit with everything we just looked at. How God leads us to temptation. Well, here's where it gets a little tricky, and I'll try to be brief. In your scriptures, in your, in your Bibles, did you notice that the Lord's Prayer doesn't have the same kind of font or the same kind of edges, it's actually printed out a little differently than the rest of the words around it. It doesn't follow the standard paragraph formula. The reason for that is because this is how you write down poetry. You'll find it a lot in Psalms and in other places, and you'll you'll see whenever in the New Testament they quote one of the Psalms or a verse, they lay it out like this. Well, why is it why did they think it was poetry? 
because it contains several literary features of Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is it's complicated, and I'm not going to try to explain all of it, but what I found as I dug into this is that whenever Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, it's actually a Hebrew literary device that they were all very familiar with. It's a device called antithesis. Are you familiar with that word, antithesis? It means the opposite of something, right? In Hebrew poetry, and I think this is how Jesus was using it, it's actually a device that you say two things that sound opposite in order to bring clarity to what you're trying to say. In other words, Jesus is telling us to ask God not to lead us into temptation and leave us there, but lead us through it and out the other side. Now, this made some things click for me, especially if this is not just a generic thing we should be praying about, about temptation and deliverance. By the way, I think this is true of every temptation but I think maybe Jesus has a special view in mind for forgiveness and unforgiveness. The reason why I think that is because we're all tempted by different things. We all go through different things. I think God leads us into different situations. But the most common place where I think we face temptation, every one of us will have somebody that will offend us. Right now, if you watch the news much at all, how much is, oh, that offends me, coming up? And the silliness and the arguments and the fighting and the friction that comes up because I'm offended. And you'll see people lose their minds whenever they're led to a place where someone offends them. I think it's common to all of us. You see, I don't think being tempted and tested is optional. For us Christians, I think that God plans it and he uses it to develop us. He uses it to strengthen us, just like he did with Jesus in the desert, just like he did with his people, Israel, as he brought them out of Egypt, just like Jesus' brother James talked about, that we should consider it joy. Why? Because God is strengthening us and preparing us. But we need help to stand up to the temptation. We need to be praying for God to deliver us because in every situation, every place where there's temptation, guess what else is there? The devil. I mean, that's just as plain as it can be. So if I was going to reinterpret this or uh, what's the word? Uh, Paraphrase. If I was going to paraphrase what Jesus says here, I'd say it this way in my prayer. As you're leading me, God, don't just lead me to a place of temptation. Lead me through it to the other side so the devil can't overcome me. How many of you guys have been recently led to a place where you've faced all kinds of temptation? Scott, I know you and Cindy have. We talked about it just a little bit this morning. It's probably happening all the time. We need to be praying and asking God, not necessarily to keep us from ever being led to a place where he intends to strengthen us, but to take us through it to the other side where we come out stronger and more fit for his purposes. See, I don't think we're supposed to just run away from every hard situation. Now, I'm also not saying that we 
should just create situations. There's a difference between God leading me to a place where I'm tempted and me leading me to a place where I get tempted. Right? If I'm hanging out in adult bookstores, I'm pretty sure God did not put me there to see if I would be faithful. You understand? I don't think it's true that if I go to places where if I have trouble with alcohol, if I go to a bar and hang out, I'm not sure that God led me there. At least i got to seriously question these things. But there are some things that happen to us. We find ourselves in places that we didn't create. And we're there sometimes because we're following Jesus. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid of it, but we better respect who's in the neighborhood because the devil is there. Look at what 1 Peter 5 says. Peter says, Be sober mindful. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Folks, we have an enemy, and he's real. He's there. And as you're going through following Jesus and you're going to be tested, you're going to be facing some temptation. And you've got an adversary that is tricky and deceitful, that hides in the shadows, and he's looking to devour someone. He's looking to devour you. Well, what does it mean when Satan devours someone, when the devil gets you? How does he devour someone? Let's look at Matthew 18, 32-35. There may be other ways that this happens, but remember, verse 14 says, For if you forgive, and if you don't forgive. And it may be that this is what Jesus is talking about in this particular case. Matthew 18, 32-35 is the end of a parable that Jesus talks about of a man who owed so much money to the king, he could not pay it back, and he begged for mercy, and the king forgave him his debt. And then the man, leaving, having been forgiven of his debt, sees someone who owes him something, demands payment when the man can't pay it, he has him thrown in jail. And then the king finds out that this is what's happened. And he says to the man in verse 32, it begins there, he says, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This, These words, jailers to be tortured, is a specific Greek word that sometimes gets translated tormentors. I think Jesus isn't just throwing out words casually here. I think he's talking about something specific. These jailers that torture are tormentors. And in verse 35 it says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Whenever you've got someone that has hurt you, disappointed you, betrayed you, offended you in some way. You're in a place where you're going to be tempted to not forgive, to hold a grudge, to be angry. And if you give in to that, 
Jesus says plainly that you're going to lose your forgiveness. And you're going to be handed over to the tormentors. So what that means is this, very plainly, as plainly as I can say it. If we don't forgive as we've been forgiven, we won't be delivered from the devil. We will be delivered to him. We talked a lot about forgiveness last week. In Jesus' instruction on how to pray, he gives us a lot more to think about about forgiveness than anything else. I mean, it gets a little more ink. He says more about it. He even clarifies it again. How important is it for us to be forgiving like we've been forgiven? It's huge. And yet, it's hard to want to do it. It's hard to want to do it. That's why it's a test. That's why it's a temptation not to do it. And here's another thing that you need to understand about this. The devil won't get to torment us in hell. He gets thrown into hell like everybody else at the end of the book, if you read it. Where he gets to torment us is here on this earth. He gets to torment us here. I know people that are bound up and tormented by the abuses of people who've been dead for a long time. It's, it's horrible what Satan can do to us if we refuse to stand up, to resist him, and to follow Jesus through that place of temptation. So let's get to the application. How is it that God's going to deliver me? How is it that he's going to deliver us whenever we're in that place where we've been led to be tempted? I've got three things I'll show you today. The first way... God delivers me from the devil is when I refuse to give him a foothold. When I refuse to give him a foothold. Ephesians 4, 26-27 says, In your anger do not sin. He's not saying that you can't be angry. But whenever you're angry, you're in the neighborhood where temptation to sin is going to be. And if there's a temptation, there's a trap. There's a devil wanting to take something from you. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There's a lot that we could talk about out of this verse. I actually remember Gary within the last year or so teaching from this verse very well. And so I'm going to not get into that this morning. I'm just going to focus in on this idea of a foothold. What is a foothold? Something that gives you a grip. Specifically, it's a launching point for an invasion. It's a launching point for an invasion. I was just watching this last night. I like documentaries. Sometimes my mind doesn't shut off at night. and I'm just sitting there whirling and thinking. And if I don't catch a sleepy wave, I'll be up all night. So I sometimes turn on, and I like World War II documentaries because they just help me to zone out and and get sleepy and fall asleep. So I I had something on Netflix about D-Day. And Rommel was talking to one of his generals about if they get a foothold here, the war is over. If they get a foothold here, we will not be able to stop them. 
And I believe that that's exactly what we're looking at here in Ephesians. Paul is warning us that we better be careful that we don't let anger, our refusal to forgive, allow Satan to get a foothold because he's going to launch an invasion with it. And that fits up with every other verse we've looked at so far, right? James 4, well, hang on, before that. Cain, in the Old Testament, Cain killed Abel. If you go back and you reread that story, what is it that was his problem? He was angry, right? And God talked to him about it and said, look, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must subdue it. Look what happened to Cain whenever he refused to forgive, whenever he indulged his anger and allowed it to turn into sin. And do you know how that story turned out for Cain? Do you think Cain spent his life tormented? I think he did. Don't be that person that is so stubborn in your pride and your anger that you refuse to forgive, that you give in to the temptation to be angry and to hold a grudge and fall right into the trap of the devil. Do not give him a foothold. You can't play cards with Satan. You can't cut a deal with him. He is out to devour you. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? We don't have to overpower Satan. We don't have to outrun him. Both of those are failing tactics. We're just to resist, and he'll do the running. How do I resist? How do you resist? By submitting yourselves to God. Now, I'm pretty sure that this is a multi-purpose statement for any kind of temptation. But as it comes to the issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness, if you're going to stay out of the Satan's trap and not let him have a foothold where he can invade and take over your life and torment you, you're going to have to submit to God. I, I met with a couple, it's been a few years back now, several years back, they were angry with me. And they wouldn't tell me why they were angry with me. And I said, it really sounds to me like you're bitter. And they said, yes. <laughs> yes, we're bitter. We know we're bitter and we're okay with being bitter. And we're not going to give up our bitterness just because you tell us to. How do you respond to that? I said, the only thing I could come up with at the time is, I don't think God tells us that when we know we're in sin, we get to repent of that when we want to. I think we're supposed to repent then. I don't know what happened to these folks. They cut off all communication. They wanted nothing to do with me. They wanted nothing to do with this church. I don't know what's happened with their life. I hope that they have passed this test. I would love for us to be reconciled. I would love to know what it was I did that offended them so badly that they were in this place. But I know that Satan was lurking in that situation and wanted to have them. And I think some of the things that they said and they did were not typical of who they were as people. I don't think it was typical of how they responded to situations. I think that they were in the grip of something they didn't even understand. Don't be that person. Number two. God delivers me from the devil when I refuse to be deceived. 
when I refuse to be deceived. This is one of the things I found about the Lord's Prayer. It seems like implicit in every step that Jesus gave us on how to pray, in every petition, there's an implied commitment that we're to make. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm committing to depending on you daily, right? Forgive us for we forgive. I'm acknowledging that I need your forgiveness and I'm committing to forgiving. I think that as he delivers us from the devil, there's, as we ask him to deliver us, there's a commitment that we're making to submit to God and to do some things. The first one is, don't give Satan a, a, a foothold. The second one is, is to refuse to be deceived. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Paul says, put off your old self. Now, I don't like that translation because self is the word anthropos. And it means man or mankind. He's talking about the old way of being human. I've talked about this before, and I think if we go with self, sometimes we think that there are two sides to us inside. There's an old self, which is bad, and a new self, which is good. And I don't think that's exactly what the apostle was trying to say. Paul talks about this new anthropos more than anybody else. He's talking about a new way to be human, a new kind of human, a new creation, as opposed to the old way of being human, the old humanity, the old original creation. And Paul says, put off the old way of being human which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Pay attention to that word deceitful. Has anybody ever been deceitful with you before? Were they able to fool you? Is this saying that deceitful desires, your deceitful desires can fool you? I believe that's exactly what Paul's saying. And in our old way of being human... Our desires deceived us all the time. You remember that, right? And again, just go to CNN or Fox News or any of your news outlets and see how many people, because of their desires, they're getting pulled and confused and being deceived into acting and saying and doing things that nobody should act, say, or do. At least not Christians, not the new humanity. He goes on, he says in verse 23, "...be renewed in the spirit of your minds." Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the new humanity, the new way of being human, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We talked about this at length last week. God is merciful on a scale that we can't even imagine. God forgives in ways that we struggle to understand. And we're to be merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. We're to be forgivers as him. Why? Because that's how we're children of God. We bear the family resemblance. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We are supposed to act like this new kind of humanity, and the new kind of humanity stays out of the devil's clutches by relying on God's strength to lead us through those moments of temptation and out the other side stronger and more prepared for what's coming. It is inappropriate, it is out of line, it is inconsistent to claim to be a member of the new humanity, of the new kind of human, the new creation, and hold a grudge. To harbor bitterness and anger in your heart. It doesn't fit. In fact, it means you're not 
If I understand what Jesus taught, it means you're not a part of the new humanity. You will surrender your forgiveness. Understand this. Satan can't take your forgiveness away. The devil cannot take your forgiveness away, but he can trick you into surrendering it. So be very careful. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's deceitful again. How does that happen? Well, it's amazing to me how often hard-headed and hard-hearted go together. Have you ever seen that connection? Maybe in your own life? We're supposed to talk like we're talking right now, only a little more specific. If you will not allow a brother or a sister to challenge you and to beg you to escape the devil's trap, you're getting hard-headed and hard-hearted. And what happens? Sin will deceive you. If God is going to lead you through to the other side on temptation, you're going to have to refuse to be deceived, which means you're going to need to let other people encourage you. And by the way, there's also the commitment to encourage those around you. In some churches, we leave all of this encouragement up to one or two people. And a lot of times I feel like Whenever I get up here, I'm calling out things that in a public manner like this, broadly, that should have been addressed privately with somebody that you were willing to soften your head and soften your heart who was trying to help you. So we need to both be able to be encouraged and to encourage others so that we won't get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the last thing I've got for you this morning... God will lead us through those places of temptation. Again, I believe what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, don't ever tempt me. Don't ever let me be tempted. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he is saying is, don't just let me be tempted. Give me your strength to keep me out of the devil's clutches and take me through on the other side because that's how you're going to strengthen me. That's how you're going to prepare me. And I want to follow you where you lead. I want to be used for your purposes. And it makes perfect sense to me that Jesus would finish his instruction on how to pray with this emphasis. The last thing I've got for you this morning is God leads me away from the devil, delivers me from the devil when I refuse to be conformed. When I refuse to be conformed. In Romans 12.2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the second verse I've shown you this morning that gets into this idea of renewing and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's about changing the way you think. Repentance involves the way you think changing. If you do not change the way you think, the way you act will not change for very long. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, here's the payoff, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. What do you think he means by that? What do you think he means by proving what the will of God is? This comes back to what Jesus taught about being, I think, what Jesus taught about being a city on a hill or a lamp that doesn't get put under a bowl. It's not enough for us to know the truth and to speak the truth 
We have to live the truth visibly. How can we claim to be redeemed by a merciful God and be merciless? How can we claim to be a part of a new creation, ultimately the only kind of human that will one day exist in a relationship with God and hold on to bitterness and anger and be devoured by Satan? There is a critical world looking for something legitimate and real, and are they seeing it in your life? Or do you just look like them? Do you look like the old way of being human? Or are you actually living like the new kind of human? The kind of human that God created us to be. The kind of human that Jesus is. I must refuse to be conformed. It's not okay to be mad because everybody tells me it's okay to be mad. It's not okay to be angry because everybody else around me gets angry at this stuff. It's not okay for me to lash out and act the way that the world says it's okay to act. And it's not okay to act the way other Christians who are ignoring the responsibility and the role that Jesus is telling us to pray about says it's okay to act. I know preachers who encourage bitterness, who will slam people and refuse to forgive and hang on to their anger. And in their pulpits, their people think they can trust what he's saying. And I believe that invalidates what he's saying based on what we're looking at here. So by the way, I'm one of these guys standing up in your pulpit. You have every right to expect me to be forgiving. And if you catch me not being forgiving, you need to encourage me to be forgiving. Bring these words that I'm bringing to you right back to me. I'm not above being challenged. I'm not the fount of all knowledge, and I'm not perfect in my ways. I need help staying out of sin's deceitfulness, just like you need it. I need to refuse to be conformed so that I can prove to the rest of the world that God's will is right. You need to be renewed in your mind, to change the way you think. Don't be like the old humanity. Instead, let God transform the way you think and act to be like the new humanity because that will prove to a skeptical world that Jesus is who he says he is. And that this new humanity thing is not just so many words, that this is legitimate and real because the world cannot forgive the way that God teaches us and allows us to forgive because they don't have the forgiveness themselves. We have been forgiven. So if you're this morning, if you've got somebody that you're just, you, you're, you're there. You're at Massa. You're in this place of being tempted and tried. And there's somebody that's on your heart. If you're there this morning, you need to change the way you think. You need to understand that you're there for a purpose. That God is going to strengthen you through this and bring you through the other side. But you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Through your own strength or your own willpower. That doesn't work. If it would have worked, everybody would have done it. Here's what I try to do. Michael, would you stand up for a second? Gary, hold still where you're at. Gary just stood up too, so I'm going to pick on him. (laughs) Michael, I'm mad at you. I'm tempted to be angry with you. You've done something so foul to me. I'm not going to tell on you. 
But that's, boy, oh, I'm right there. I'm tempted to just be angry with you. But Gary's a little bit bigger. And I'm looking past you to him. And in my analogy here, that's Jesus. And by the way, Michael, what you did to me was nothing compared to what I did to him. It was nothing. You owe me maybe five bucks. I owe him five trillion. You guys can be seated. Or go where you were going, Gary. There's got to be a reason why Jesus ends this prayer this way. There's got to be a reason why he gives it this much attention. As Christians, God is going to lead us into places where we're going to face temptation. He's not going to tempt us, but he is going to test us. And he always has good in mind when he does it. He always has development and strengthening and fitting for his purposes in mind when he allows us to go through hard things. Don't be short-sighted. Don't be deceived. Don't give the devil a foothold. And don't be like the old kind of human. That's all I've got for you this morning. If you would, let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for for Jesus' words. It's, it's amazing to me that he put it in poetry because poetry, sometimes it's easier to remember things that rhyme and things that fit together in a poetic kind of way. It takes it to a different level for us. Father, I pray that even though we're in English and not Aramaic or, or Greek, that you'll help us no less remember Jesus' teaching here and that it will change the way we pray. We are a part of a new creation if we're in Christ. And part of that vocation of being a new human is to pray. It's not an optional thing. You've given us the responsibility to call in your resources and your forces into this world to advance your kingdom and to see your will being done. We get to ask that of you as your children. Father, we, we are so tempted to depend on anything but you. And I pray that you'll, you'll forgive us of that and help us to change the way we think about where we put our trust and where we get our security. Help us to just follow you day by day and not to worry about things that are out of our control, but instead to worry about the things you've asked us to control. Father, we need help because we've got an adversary. And some of us this morning are right there in that place where they've been led. They don't have to be afraid of being tempted, but they need to respect the traps that are all around. Father, I pray that you'll help us to just submit to you and to follow where you lead and to do what you say and prove to the world around us that you're real and that salvation is in you. Father, we want to be that light that gives light to the world because that's what you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.